0: chapter 9 of vanished arizona this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org vanished arizona recollections of the army life of a new england woman by martha summer hayes chapter 9 across the moguans it was a fine afternoon in the latter part of september when our small detachment with captain ogleby in command marched out of Camp Verde. There were two companies of soldiers, numbering about a hundred men in all, five or six officers, Mrs. Bailey and myself, and a couple of laundresses. I cannot say that we were gay. Mrs. Bailey had said good-bye to her father and mother and sister at Fort Whipple, and, although she was an army girl, she did not seem to bear the parting very philosophically. Her young child, nine months old, was with her, and her husband— as stalwart and handsome an officer as ever wore shoulder-straps. But we were facing unknown dangers, in a far country away from her mother, father, sister, and brother, a country infested with roving bands of the most cruel tribe ever known, who tortured before they killed. We could not even pretend to be gay. The travelling was very difficult and rough, and both men and animals were worn out by night. But now we were in the mountains. The air was cool and pleasant, and the night so cold that we were glad to have a small stove in our tents to dress by in the mornings the scenery was wild and grand in fact beyond all that that i had ever dreamed of more than that it seemed so untrod so fresh somehow and i do not suppose that even now in the day of railroads and tourists many people have had the view of the tonto basin which we had one day from the top of the mogollon range I remember thinking, as we alighted from our ambulances and stood looking over into the basin, surely I have never seen anything to compare with this, but, oh, would any sane human being voluntarily go through with what I have had endured on this journey in order to look upon this wonderful scene. The roads now had become so difficult that our wagon-train could not move as fast as the lighter vehicles or the troops, sometimes at a critical place in the road where the ascent was not only dangerous but doubtful, or there was, perhaps, a sharp turn. The ambulances waited to see the wagons safely over the pass. Each wagon had its six mules. Each ambulance had also its quota of six. At the foot of one of these steep places the wagons would halt. The teamster would inspect the road and calculate the possibilities of reaching the top, then furiously cracking their whips and pouring forth volley upon volley of oaths, they would start the team each mule got its share of dreadful curses i had never heard or conceived of any oath like those they made my blood fairly curdle and i am not speaking figuratively the shivers ran up and down my back and i half expected to see those teamsters struck down by the hand of the almighty for although the anathemas hurled at my innocent head during the impressionable years of girlhood by the pale and determined congregational ministers with gold-bowed spectacles who held forth in the meeting-house of my maternal ancestry all honor to their sincerity had taken little hold upon my mind still the vital drop of the puritan was in my blood and the fear of a personal god and his wrath still existed away back in the hidden recesses of my heart This swearing and lashing went on until the heavily loaded prairie schooner, swaying, swinging, and swerving to the edge of the cut, and back again to the perpendicular wall of the mountain, would finally reach the top and pass on around the bend. Then another would do the same. Each teamster had his own particular variety of oaths. Each mule had a feminine name, and this brought the swearing down to a sort of a personal basis. I remonstrated with Jack, But he said teamsters always swore the mules wouldn't even stir to go up a hill if they weren't sworn at like that by the time we crossed the great mogollon mesa i had become accustomed to those dreadful oaths and learned to admire the skill persistency and endurance shown by those rough teamsters i actually got so far as to believe what jack had told me about the swearing being necessary for i saw impossible feats performed by the combination when near camp and over the difficult places we drove on ahead and waited for the wagons to come in it was some time late evening before tents could be pitched and supper cooked and oh to see the poor jaded animals when the wagons reached camp i could forget my own discomfort and even hunger when i looked at their sad faces one night the teamsters reported that a six-mule team had rolled down the steep side of a mountain i did not ask what became of the poor faithful mules i do not know to this day in my pity and real distress over the fate of these patient brutes i forgot to inquire what boxes were on the unfortunate wagon we began to have some shooting lieutenant bailey shot a young deer and some wild turkeys and we could not complain any more of the lack of fresh food it did not surprise us to learn that ours was the first wagon train to pass over crook's trail for miles and miles the so-called road was nothing but a clearing and we were pitched and jerked from side to side of the ambulance as we struck large rocks or tree-stumps in some steep places logs were chained to the rear of the ambulance to keep it from pitching forward onto the backs of the mules at such places i got out and picked my way down the rocky declivity We now began to hear of the Apache Indians, who were always out, in either large or small bands, doing their murderous work. One day a party of horsemen tore past us at a gallop. Some of them raised their hats to us as they rushed past, and our officers recognized General Crook, but we could not, in the cloud of dust, distinguish officers from scouts. All wore the flannel shirt, handkerchief tied about the neck, and broad campaign hat. "'After supper that evening the conversation turned upon Indians in general, and Apaches in particular. We camped always at a basin, or at a tank, or a hole, or a spring, or in some canyon by a creek. Always from water to water we marched. Our camp that night was in the midst of a primeval grove of tall pine-trees, verily, an untrodden land. We had a big campfire, and sat around it until very late.' there were only five or six officers, and Mrs. Bailey and myself. The darkness and blackness of the place were uncanny. We all sat looking into the fire. Somebody said, Injuns would not have had such a big fire as that.' "'No, you bet they wouldn't,' was the quick reply of one of the officers. Then followed a long pause. We all sat thinking and gazing into the fire, which crackled and leaped into fitful blazes.' "'Our figures must make a mighty good outline "'against that fire,' remarked one of the officers nonchalantly. "'I dare say those stealthy sons of Satan "'know exactly where we are at this minute,' he added. "'Yes, you bet your life they do,' answered one of the younger men, "'lapsing into the frontiersman language, "'from the force of his convictions. "'Look behind you at those trees, Jack,' said Major Worth. "'Can you see anything?' "'No. "'And if there were an Apache behind each one of them, "'we should never know it.' "'We all turned.' AND PEERED INTO THE BLACK DARKNESS WHICH SURROUNDED US. ANOTHER PAUSE FOLLOWED. THE SILENCE WAS WEIRD. ONLY THE CRACKLING OF THE FIRE WAS HEARD, AND THE mournful soughing OF THE WINDS AND THE PINES. SUDDENLY! A CRASH! WE STARTED TO OUR FEET AND FACED AROUND. A DEAD BRANCH, SAID SOMEONE. MAJOR WORTH SHRUGGED HIS SHOULDERS, AND TURNING TO JACK, SAID IN A LOW TONE, Dee Dee, IF I DON'T BELIEVE, I'M GETTING NERVOUS and saying good-night he walked towards his tent no element of doubt pervaded my mind as to my own state the weird feeling of being up in those remote mountain passes but with a handful of soldiers against the wary apaches the mysterious look of those black tree-trunks upon which flickered the uncertain light of the camp-fire now dying and from behind each one of which i imagine a red devil might be at that moment taking aim with his deadly arrow All inspired me with fear, such as I had never before known. In the cyclone which had overtaken our good ship in mid-Atlantic, where we lay tossing about at the mercy of the waves for thirty-six long hours, I had expected to yield my body to the dark and gruesome depths of the ocean. I had almost felt the cold arms of death about me, but compared to the sickening dread of the cruel Apache, my fears then had been as naught. Facing the inevitable at sea, I had closed my eyes— and said good-bye to life. But in this mysterious darkness, every nerve, every sense, was keenly alive with terror. Several of that small party around the campfire have gone from amongst us, but I venture to say that, of the few who are left, not one will deny that he shared in the vague apprehension which seized upon us. Midnight found us still lingering around the dead ashes of the fire. After going to our tent, Jack saw that I was frightened. He said, don't worry martha an apache was never known to attack in the night and after hearing many repetitions of this assertion upon which i made him take his oath i threw myself upon the bed after our candle was out i said when do they attack jack who with the soldier's indifference to danger was already half asleep replied just before daylight usually but do not worry i say there aren't any injuns in this neighbourhood "'Why, didn't you meet General Crook today? "'You ought to have some sense. "'If there had been an injun around here, "'he would have cleaned him out. "'Now go to sleep and don't be foolish.' "'But I was taking my first lessons in campaigning, "'and sleep was not so easy. "'Just before dawn, as I had fallen into a light slumber, "'the flaps of the tent burst open "'and began shaking violently to and fro. "'I sprang to my feet, prepared for the worst. "'Jack started up. "'What is it?' he cried. It must have been the wind, I think, but it frightened me, I murmured. The lieutenant fastened the tent flaps together and lay down to sleep again, but my heart beat fast, and I listened for every sound. The day gradually dawned, and with it my fears of the night were allayed, but ever after that Jack's fatal answer, just before daylight, kept my eyes wide open for hours before the dawn." End of chapter 9 Recording by Dobson Fly, Scottsdale, Arizona